What up, son? It's the tail of the tapes. The fuck life. Saying. All right, we're back for a new month here. Season 2, episode 47, Tale of the Tapes, the greatest podcast of all motherfucking time. <laughs> so on today's episode, we got Ghostface Killer and Lil' Kim. So I'm sure these two don't need too much of an introduction from me, but obviously let me get into what I'm going to get into. I actually have a pretty plentiful history with both of these artists in probably a complete 180 fashion, and it might not be what you're expecting. So, again, I don't want to repeat everything I say every single time we cover a Wu-Tang member, but just to touch back on it extremely quickly, I never disliked Wu-Tang, but was never a huge fan of them the way that most other people from Staten Island are. I like them and have a huge respect and appreciation for their movement, but skill-wise, I always thought they were a bit overrated. Ghostface comes at the top of that list for me. We covered Raekwon not that many episodes ago, and I remember telling you guys that lyrically, I expected Raekwon to be towards the bottom of the group, and he wound up exceeding my expectations and being an above-average lyricist. So technically speaking, if he is one of the bottom members lyrically, then that obviously speaks volumes for Wu-Tang as a whole. But we don't know any of that yet, as we haven't covered all nine members, so we'll come back to that when that day comes. But, Ray and Ghost, I expected to finish in the bottom half of this Wu-Pack. So not only have I always thought that, technically speaking, Ghostface was overrated, especially lyrically, but for some reason, he was just always one of my least favorite Wu-Tang members. And again, I want to be clear. I do not hate or dislike Ghostface, especially as a person, but there was just always something about him that I personally didn't vibe with. Now, ironically enough, I just finished season two of Wu-Tang and American Saga, the TV series, last night, and I probably most relate to Ghostface above any other character in the show, so it's odd how things like that work out sometimes. Now... I've told you before I'm not a big fan of shows and I don't watch most shit like that, but being somebody that grew up in Staten Island and, you know, you're making a show about my hometown and where I grew up in my childhood and shit like that, I'll let you know right now off the bat. If there's a movie that's set in Staten Island or about Staten Island or filmed in Staten Island or something like that, especially if it's the 90s, I'm going to have to watch it. Now, I'm not really a big fan of Staten Island anymore, but I was when I lived there. And it still is a part of my life and my history. So, like I said, anytime there's something Staten Island related like that, I ain't watching Jersey Shore because they're from Staten Island. I'm talking about 90s, Staten Island, hip-hop, New York, just shit like that. Not clubbing in Jersey and whatever the hell else those people do. That's, that's one portion of Staten Island. Not the whole thing. So, again, I just want to be clear. I do not hate or dislike Ghostface was just never particularly a huge fan of his and thought he came highly overrated, which probably just added fuel to the fire of me not really liking him so much, right? So you have this guy here that kind of, to me, I would have just not really listened to. I wouldn't have really had much to say on him. I just would have bought, you know, meth albums or I would have bought RZA albums or I would have bought that or whatever and I wouldn't have bought Ghostface albums. But 
when it's somebody that I'm not really a big fan of and people keep bringing them up to you and they're like, yo, Ghost is the fucking greatest MC out of Staten for sure. And they start saying, I'm like, bro, are you fucking kidding me? Like, that's when the bitterness starts to come out a little bit. And it's like, why are you throwing this guy in my face over and over again like this? And you're almost forcing me to get negative about him because you're being so positive about him and I don't really agree with it. So you're kind of forcing me to fire back. And I think that just added a little bit more fuel to the fire of me not really being a big Ghostface fan. As far as Lil' Kim is concerned, her first two albums, Hardcore and The Notorious K.I.M., are two of my personal favorite hip-hop albums of all time. And this is significant for more than one reason. To start, I'm not particularly a fan of female rappers in general. I've probably had three or four rap albums by females my entire life, and not only was Lil' Kim the creator of two of them, but they are both two of my favorite hip-hop albums ever. I've touched on this before when covering other female artists, but let me touch on it again just to be clear. I am not saying that girls suck at rapping, or that I'm sexist and hate women, but we all have our preferences, right? I don't mind watching a technical boxing match, but most people like seeing a slugfest. It's just a difference of preference. I love watching girls do certain things and play certain sports, but I'm not a big fan of girls boxing or fighting. It's just, you know, again, that's not to say they aren't good. It's just not something I personally enjoy watching. Same thing with hip-hop, really. In general... Rapping is not really something I'm particularly a fan of seeing or listening to girls do personally. So for Lil' Kim to have not one, but two of my favorite hip-hop albums of all time, when I'm not really a big fan of female rappers, is obviously saying a lot. And I'm not gonna lie to you, I was amped to go through Lil' Kim's catalog for a couple of reasons. Number one, I hadn't heard those two albums in a very long time. So I was just excited to revisit those and listen to them again. Number two, I was super intrigued to see how they scored. Were they really that great or did I just personally love them? And number three, I hadn't really heard much of any of her other newer material. So I was curious to see what that sounded like. Now, I won't lie to you. I expected Lil' Kim to finish as one of the top female artists overall in this study, if not the highest. So we'll have to see as this episode unfolds whether either of my predictions on these two artists were accurate or not. Both of them had their debut albums out in 1996, but Ghostface's debut solo album was out first, so we'll start off with him. Born Dennis David Coles, May 9th, 1970. Other names Ghostface, Tony Stocks, and D-Love. Years active are listed as 1991 to present. Origins listed as Staten Island, New York, United States. And his genres are listed as hip-hop and hardcore hip-hop. So, there's another artist on the podcast officially from Staten Island. And that's got to be between three to five people at this point that have been from Staten Island. So, you know, I just got to point that out. But, let's check out a bit of a background <laughs> here on Ghost and see what we can find in there. Dennis Coles, born May 9th, 1970, better known by his stage name Ghostface Killer is an American rapper, songwriter, and actor, and lead member of the hip-hop group Wu-Tang Clan. After the group achieved breakthrough success in the aftermath of Enter the Wu-Tang 36 Chambers, the members went on to pursue solo careers to varying levels of success. Ghostface Killer debuted his solo career with Iron Man, which was well-received by music critics in 1996. 
He has enjoyed continued success in the years that have followed, releasing critically acclaimed albums such as Supreme Clientele in 2000 and Fishgale in 2006. His stage name was taken from one of the characters in the 1979 kung fu film Mystery of Chessboxing. He is the founder of his own record label, Stalks Enterprises. Ghostface Killer is critically acclaimed for his loud, fast-paced flow and his emotional stream of consciousness narratives creating cryptic slang and non-sequiturs. In 2006, MTV included him as an honorable mention on their list of the greatest MCs of all time, while the editors of About.com placed him on their list of the top 50 MCs of our time from 1987 to 2007, calling him one of the most imaginative storytellers of our time. Q Magazine called him rap's finest storyteller. Pitchfork Media has stated that Ghostface has unparalleled storytelling instincts. He might be the best, most colorful storyteller rap has ever seen. NPR has called him a compulsive storyteller and asserts that his fiction is painterly. So obviously Ghostface, an original 9 Wu-Tang member and one of the more popular of the group, we also see in his background many magazines and websites and things like that talking particularly about what an amazing storyteller Ghostface was, which I probably wouldn't have ever thought prior to covering him in this study. So let's get into my breakdown of Ghostface and see how that reads. While I'm not a huge Wu-Tang fan, I always felt pretty well informed on them being from Staten Island and all. Ghostface has proven me to be wrong yet again about this group and its members. While Ghost was decent with different rhyme schemes and syllables, he also took shortcuts a lot and didn't rhyme sometimes. He certainly had his fair share of decent lines, but he did reach with weaker ones as well. He was a vivid storyteller with a good vocabulary who was excellent at being able to keep a topic on a song, leaving him just above average lyrically overall. Tony Stark's qualified a whopping 25 albums for scoring. That includes 13 solo albums, Five collaboration albums with Trife Diesel, Raekwon and Meth, Sheik Luch of the Locks, Zarface, and Canadian instrumental music group Bad Bad Not Good. Six Wu-Tang albums and one EP. Of those 25, one was a classic, another one was a borderline classic, five others were great, and the remaining 18 were good. Not even a single average album, let alone a weak one. Of his 260 qualified songs, 11 were great, another 96 were good, and not a single one was weak. It is to be noted, however, that he was carried to a lot of those scores by his features many times. Ghostface is not only a common name in the hip-hop community, but he's one of the more successful and popular members of one of the biggest, most influential hip-hop groups of all time, although he didn't have very many clear influences musically on many other artists aside from Sheik Luch. As is the case with most members of this group, Iron Man had no trouble bringing something new and fresh to the game. He was very original from his voice, content, sound, and song topics to his slang, delivery, and rhyme style. While he definitely did borrow a lot from others, he was also very original with collaboration and concept albums and even some of his features. So, it appears as if I'm about to be dead wrong about yet another Wu-Tang member, so let's break down the math here for Ghost and see where he finishes. Lyrics, he gets a five and a half. Like I spoke about, there was nothing really too special about him, at least when it came to, to lyrics. 
Um, but, you know, he was decent with rhyme schemes and syllables and stuff like that. But again, that was kind of countered by him taking shortcuts and not rhyming and stuff like that sometimes. So I felt most of that stuff kind of even each other out. He had some pretty dope lines, some lines where it was like, ah, that was a bit weak. He's reaching for that one. But he was brought to above average really by his vivid storytelling ability and his ability to keep a topic throughout a song or in his case even throughout an entire album which I'll probably talk more about in a minute. Albums he gets a 4.74 with one classic. I mean his album score is really really impressive especially considering 25 albums. 25 albums is a lot. And not all of those are by himself. So he's working with a number of different people. Still manages to come out with a classic album. Another borderline classic. So I wouldn't argue with anybody that said Ghostface had more like two or three classic albums. Um, you know, 4.74 for a score there, which is very solid. Like I said, the one classic album. And able to keep all that up throughout a whole bunch of collaborative projects with different groups and different people and stuff like that. Songs, he gets a plus .42. So almost a half a point there for Ghostface. Not quite a half a point, but almost. Nothing too crazy, but, you know, it's again, it's better than losing points, obviously. And it's also better than gaining a point zero five or something really, really minuscule like that. We spoke about it. It came from uh, 260 qualified songs, which is definitely a good amount of songs. He had 11 great songs, which is not a tremendous amount out of 260, but not a single weak song. So... You know, 11 to nothing there on the song count, which brought him to a plus .42. Impact, he gets an 8, and there's really not much of an argument here. Again, like I said, yes, not a long list of names of people influenced, but we're not done yet, so we'll see how that goes. And it doesn't really have to be a long list of names. We all know the impact that Wu-Tang as a group had. We all know the impact that most of the Wu-Tang members individually had, and Ghostface at the top of that list, man. I mean, one of the more popular, more successful members in a in a huge, impactful group. So this guy's obviously not going to get a low score for impact, needless to say. Originality, he gets an 8.5. Another great score there. I mean, it was all that for Ghostface when it came to originality, man. Again, nothing absolutely too ridiculous. You know, not necessarily an ODB or something like that. But he's up there, man. I mean, his image was relatively original. His message was pretty original. His voice and his delivery were pretty original. His rhyme style was pretty original. Song topics, um, you know, overall content and sound. And just speaking about before, when I said he was great at keeping a topic for an entire song, or even for an entire album, I want to touch on that for a second. But Ghost made two albums that were essentially scores from an Italian play. So he basically took an Italian play and just narrated the entire thing as music but it's one giant story throughout the whole album and he never ever deviated from that at any point on either of those albums again that's not to say that he absolutely murdered them lyrically but was able to hold that topic and do some very original very different very unique stuff which obviously garnered him a tremendous amount of points in the originality category scoring a solid eight and a half so you add all those six numbers up, remember it's six because we do have the classic album for Ghost, so you have to add that in there. You add all those six numbers up, and you divide by five, and that gives you a final rating of 5.63, which puts Ghostface Killer in 25th place of 184 artists done overall. 
So what do you know? Another Wu-Tang member who I incorrectly expected very little out of finishes in the top 25 overall so far. Would you look at that? I mean, listen, man, I'm not going to lie to you. I, I personally didn't enjoy most of Ghostface work. And again, that's absolutely nothing but opinions and personal preference. But technically speaking, Ghostface was very impressive. I can't front on him. This has happened numerous times now. I believe Ghost is probably the fifth original nine Wu-Tang member that we've covered. So about halfway through the Wu at this point. And to my knowledge, I have been dead wrong about like every single one of them. I have absolutely no problem having unpopular opinions, nor do I have any problems expressing them. What I won't do is lie or be biased, and regardless of what I do or don't like, or what I do or don't expect, I will never alter anyone's scores based on any of those opinions. When I'm wrong, I'm wrong. And even though I don't particularly prefer ghost music, I'm man enough to admit that I was wrong about where he would finish in this study and also man enough to admit that at this point, it looks like I was probably wrong about Wu-Tang in general and their talent level. So huge shouts to Ghostface, man, a very unique storyteller who brought a lot to the game and obviously big shout outs to Wu-Tang as a whole. Now, moving on to Lil' Kim, who also had her debut solo album out in 1996. Born Kimberly Denise Jones, July 11th, 1974, in New York City, United States. Other names, Queen B. Years active are listed as 1994 to present, and genres are listed as hip-hop. So, I don't think anything too surprising there, but let's read up on some more background about Lil' Kim and see what we can find. Kimberly Denise Jones, born July 11th, 1974, better known by her stage name Lil' Kim, is an American rapper, actress, model, and reality television personality. Born and raised in Brooklyn, New York City, she lived much of her adolescent life on the streets after being expelled from her home. In her teens, Jones would freestyle rap influenced by fellow female hip-hop artists like MC Light and the Lady of Rage. In 1994, she was discovered by fellow rapper The Notorious B.I.G., who invited her to join his group Junior Mafia. Their debut album, Conspiracy, generated two top 20 singles in the United States and was certified gold by the Recording Industry Association of America. Lil' Kim's debut studio album, Hardcore, in 1996 was certified double platinum, has since sold more than 6 million copies worldwide, and spawned three successful singles, No Time, Not Tonight, and Crush On You. Her following albums, The Notorious K.I.M. in 2000 and La Bella Mafia in 2003, were also certified platinum. In 2001, she was featured on the single Lady Marmalade, a remake of the 1974 hit single of the same name, originally recorded by LaBelle, alongside Maya, Pink, and Christina Aguilera, which topped the U.S. Billboard Hot 100. Other notable singles from this period include The Jump Off and Magic Stick, the latter of which reached number two on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100, becoming Kim's second highest charting single as a lead artist. In 2005, Lil' Kim served a one-year prison sentence for lying to a jury about her friend's involvement in a shooting four years earlier. During her incarceration, her fourth album, The Naked Truth, was released to positive reviews from critics. A reality series covering her sentence, Little Kim Countdown to Lockdown, premiered on BET in 2006. 
She released her first mixtape, Miss Goat, in 2008 and returned to the public eye in 2009 with an appearance on Dancing with the Stars. Throughout the 2010, she continued to release music and perform sporadically, collaborating with artists such as Faith Evans, Remy Ma, and Fabulous. Her fifth studio album, Nine, was released in 2019. Lil' Kim has sold more than 15 million albums and 30 million singles worldwide. Her songs No Time, Big Mama Thing, and Not Tonight were each listed on Complex's list of the 50 best rap songs by women. In 2012, Lil' Kim was listed on VH1's 100 Greatest Women in Music list at number 45, the second highest position for a solo female hip-hop artist. Aside from music, Lil' Kim is also known for her risk-taking and luxurious approach to fashion that inspired many artists and she has been cited as a fashion icon. She has been noted for helping females embrace their sexuality and femininity in a way that was a stark contrast at the time from other female artists. So a lot to say there for Lil' Kim and I want to point out that it's sporadic with a bit of give and take. Yes, she had successes with Junior Mafia, but Biggie was in Junior Mafia and anything involving Biggie at that time period was successful. She did, however, have a double platinum and two platinum albums as well as a handful of successful charting singles and most of that was after Biggie was gone. She doesn't have an overabundance of material and seemed to disappear at times, but had good results when her effort was there. While her accomplishments aren't absurd compared to some other people we've covered so far, she does have a nice list of accolades for a female rapper for sure, and does come pretty highly touted by some pretty reputable companies. So let's read my write-up on Lil' Kim and see what I had to say. Lil' Kim is not only my personal favorite female MC, but she really is the only one I'll listen to and owns two of my favorite hip-hop albums of all time. Though her bars always seem to lead into each other well, she was inconsistent from bar to bar. She showed a good ability with multisyllabic rhymes at times, but also took shortcuts a lot, used run-on bars, and didn't rhyme sometimes. While she had her fair share of dope lines, she also did reach with some weaker ones. She did show the ability to tell a story, but they were usually underwhelming and she was 50-50 with being able to keep a topic throughout a song. Over time, she seemed to improve a tiny bit lyrically and finished average overall in this department. Kim qualified five albums for scoring. Three of those five were good and the other two were great. Of her 73 qualified songs, one was great, 31 were good, and three were weak. While the Queen Bee holds records for female rappers and was huge in the 90s, she has fallen off in more recent years and only had direct musical influences on Jay-Z. When it comes to originality, Lil' Kim was all over the place. While her content was new and original, she also took a very large amount from other artists, especially Biggie. Her explicit vulgarness was certainly unlike any others before her, especially for a female. While she is considered a fashion icon and certainly had a unique image, her entire style switched as much as her appearance did to what was trendy on her latest album. So again... A bit of give and take there for Lil' Kim, similar to what we read in her background info, so let's get right into the math on Kim here and see what we end up with. Lyrics, she gets a 5. Like I said, early on, or actually the whole time, really, it was a bit give and take as she was definitely inconsistent. She actually got better later on, which actually pulled her right back to a solid average. I'm not really saying that I had her technically listed as a 4.5, but... 
she was teetering with that four and a half because some of the shortcuts she took or times that she didn't rhyme or some of the reaches she had or things like that um, or just some simplistic rhymes and stuff like that. It was teetering to a four and a half and then she was able to up it a little bit. Not enough to, to quite bring it to a five and a half, but definitely enough to keep her solid at a five. So she gets a five there lyrically. Album, she gets a 4.82 with zero classics. And again, this is just being honest. This is just being real. If you ask me personally, my opinion, my nostalgia, Little Kim not only has two classics, but like I said, man, two of my favorite hip-hop albums of all time, no question. But technically speaking, when I score these albums and break them down the same way that I've done for every single artist prior to this, she did not come out to technically, mathematically have any classic albums. But 4.82, still a solid score for sure. Um, three good albums and two great albums, so solid stuff there. Not trying to take anything away, just wanted to point out how much I love those two albums, but they still weren't scored as classics. Song, she gets a minus 0.27, which I gotta admit, I wasn't really expecting. I can't say that I thought too long and hard about it. But I just thought that with some of her popularity, coupled with the fact that I had knew just out of my own memory and recollection that she definitely had plenty of songs that were topical and stuff like that, I just assumed that things like that would probably carry her for the most part. I can't really say I expected Kim to have three weak songs. Um, that's not an overabundance, but only 73 songs, so not a massive amount of song. Only one great song and three weak songs, so... She does wind up losing just over a quarter of a point there in the songs category. Impact, she gets a six. And this was another one. I mean, pretty much everything about Kim was give and take. This was another one that was give and take. You know, you got one end of the spectrum where a small body of work, not a major amount of songs, not a major amount of albums, didn't always stay relevant and stuff like that. Just Jay-Z on the list of names influence. So not a big list of names. Yes, that is a big name, but not a big list of names. But then on the flip side of that coin, you do have a double platinum album. You have two platinum albums. You have a bunch of successful singles, both with herself and with other people. And quite frankly, for the little material that she did put out, she was pretty successful with what she did put out. So I thought that those things were enough to carry her to above average in the impact score, but maybe not as high as you might think at first glance. And originality, she gets a six there as well. And I will tell you right now that that six was up higher near a seven or a seven and a half just based on a lot of the things that she said and the way that she dressed her content and her message and things like that. You could tell that not only was she unapologetically her, but she gave absolutely zero fucks about what she should be doing or what was expected of her as a female. And she was just all out her. Now, that almost took a complete 180 towards the end of her career. Her music style and sound took a total change. Her image took a dramatic total change. So that originality about her, again, it didn't plummet. I didn't bring her below average because it was more recent in comparison to a larger chunk being very original in the beginning. But again, there's not that big of a chunk there to begin with. So yes, the last album was very, very trendy. Well, that's only one. Yes, but there's only five total. So that's 20% of her total music right there. So it does have to be taken into consideration. And she winds up with a six overall at the end of the day for originality. Which, quite frankly, is another one that 
I, I wasn't aware of Little Kim's newer material and I really didn't know any of that stuff. I was intrigued to get to it. I was curious to see what it was like. And that's not to say that it was it was bad. It was just very trendy and unoriginal. So I didn't expect Little Kim to score that low in the originality department either. So you add all those five numbers up and you get a final rating of 4.31, which leaves Little Kim in 98th place of 184 artists done overall. So not really a tremendous finish there for Little Kim and certainly not the finish that I expected. Almost smack in the middle of the pack here and I, I want to point something out real quick for all of you people that keep telling me that I have bias involved in these studies and these scores. Think about this right now, okay? I dislike 90% of Ghostface's music and swore up and down before this podcast that pretty much every member in Wu-Tang was overrated. I also stated that Lil' Kim is my favorite female rapper of all time, has two of my favorite hip-hop albums of all time, and I predicted her to finish not only high in this study, but as the top female. Has anyone noticed that I have just placed someone that I don't like 70 spots ahead of one of my favorite rappers of all time? The fact of the matter is that regardless of who I prefer between the two, which is very heavily in favor of Lil' Kim, Ghostface is the better artist across the board. Better lyrically, better songs, has a classic album to his name, and was more original with a greater impact. My opinion is that I like Lil' Kim a lot more. The facts are that Ghostface is the better artist. So again, let this be example number 10,473 of how my opinions and biases are not involved in this study in any way whatsoever. People are being graded on what they do, not how much I like or enjoy them. Regardless of that though, man, Lil' Kim is still my favorite female rapper of all time who has had some major accomplishments in her career, so... I don't want to take nothing away from her. Big shout outs to Lil' Kim for sure. So now let's get into our list, starting with our top 10% overall. And there are some changes here in this list as it's going to grow by one today from a top 15 to a top 16. So let's see if anyone was able to crack it today or if we get an old list member returning at the end of the list here today. In our top spot, we have Jay-Z who's in second place of 184 artists done overall. Behind him in 5th place, we have AZ. Directly behind AZ is Big L, who's in 6th. And directly behind him in 7th is Nas. Directly behind Nas is Method Man, who's in 8th. And a couple of slots back from him in 10th is Black Thought of the Roots. Behind Black Thought, we have Tupac and Biggie in a 3-way tie for 11th. And behind them in 15th is Pharaoh Manch. Behind Pharaoh is KRS-One, who's in 18th. Directly behind him in 19th is Rock of Helter Skelter. Directly behind Rock is Proof, who's in 20th. And a couple of slots back from him in 22nd is Jizza. Directly behind Jizza is Sean Price of Helter Skelter, who's in 23rd. And directly behind him in 24th is Slick Rick. Directly behind Slick Rick, we now have Ghostface Killer, who's in 25th place of 184 artists done overall. So pretty cool stuff here is Ghostface was about to not make this list by one place, but because of the number of artists completed overall on today's episode, this top 10% list gets a little bit longer, 
and Ghostface was able to occupy the very last spot. So, shoutouts to Ghost for making it into our top 10% overall so far. And now, before we move on to our next list, I have a couple of things to point out here. I don't know if anyone has noticed or not, but AZ has moved up. Last week, AZ was listed at number 7 behind Nas. Today, AZ is listed at number 5, just ahead of Big L and Nas. The reasoning for this is because AZ just came out with a new album in the third quarter of 2021, which hadn't been scored yet when we covered AZ on here. So just recently, I went back and listened to it and scored it. AZ has been amazing enough as it is, and he somehow managed to take it to another level on this album again, scored another classic album, and added to his already amazing song score with another nine great songs on that album. All that was enough to slide him up two spots from 7th to 5th, and deservedly so, man. AZ is really something else, and I'm happy he's still putting out music at that level of skill and mastery, honestly. Now, this isn't AZ's episode, so I don't want to spend too much time on this, but anytime a majorly significant move like that happens, I always have to let you guys know, and this is why I tell you all the time, these scores are always subject to change, so... It may seem anticlimactic right now knowing where, let's say, your favorite rapper or the front runner may have finished, but that can always change. People ahead of them can be moved back, they can be moved up, and all of this can always happen without anyone even putting out any new material. So yes, we're getting an outline here of who's finishing where, but this ain't over till it's over. We got a long road ahead of us for sure. But now that we got that bit of exciting news out of the way, let's move on to our top 10% lyrically overall. In a four-way tie for first place, we got Pharaoh Manch, Black Thought of the Roots, Nas, and AZ, all with lyrical scores of 8.5. Behind them in a tie for fifth place is Method Man and Jay-Z, who both got lyrical scores of 8. Behind them in a four-way tie for seventh is Master Ace, Jizza, Common, and Big L, who all got lyrical scores of 7.5. In a three-way tie for 11th, behind them is KRS-One, Lord Finesse, and Sean Price, all with lyrical scores of 7. And then in a 13-way tie for 14th place is Will Smith, Rakim, Cool G Rap, Everlast, Tupac, Redman, Sticky Fingers of Onyx, Lazy Bone of Bone Thugs and Harmony, Biggie, Tame One, Lil Wayne, Rock of Helter Skelter, and Razkaz. So neither artist covered here today able to crack our top 10% lyrically, so let's get into our particular decades list. We're going to start off with our 1980s decade, so your top 5 artists to come out in the 1980s are KRS-One, Slick Rick, Rakim, Rev Run of Run DMC, and LL Cool J. Shout out to the top 5 legends of all time right there, man. Now, let's move on to our 90s decade. Your top 5 artists to come out in the 1990s so far are Jay-Z, Big L, Nas, AZ, and Method Man. So neither artist able to crack this top 5 of the 90s so far either, and I believe that's now 3 weeks in a row, so let's see how long that goes on for. I'm always curious to see because I'm telling you man, this list in this second half of the 90s is becoming near impossible to crack. You can have somebody finish in the top 10 overall and they still don't crack this fucking list. It's crazy. So let's move on to our regional list now. 
We're going to start off with our East Coast. Your top three artists to come out of the East Coast thus far are Jay-Z from Brooklyn, New York, Big L from Harlem, New York, and Nas from Queens, New York. Moving across the country to our West Coast, your top three artists to come out of the West Coast thus far are Tupac from Marin County, California, Razkaz from Carson, California, and Ice Cube from Los Angeles, California. Moving down south, your top three artists to come out of the south so far are Lil Wayne from New Orleans, Louisiana, Andre 3000 of Outkast from Atlanta, Georgia, and Big Boy, also of Outkast and also from Atlanta, Georgia. Moving over to your Midwest, your top three artists to come out of the Midwest thus far are Proof from Detroit, Michigan, Common from Chicago, Illinois, and Crazy Bone of Bone Thugs and Harmony from Cleveland, Ohio. So again, neither artist today able to crack their regional list that they were eligible for, but we did have Ghostface crack our top 10% overall, so not a totally blank slate today, but regardless, man, big shouts to both of these artists today and anyone in any of these lists for sure. If you'd like to see any of the lists in full, you can give the Facebook website a visit at www.facebook.com slash tale of the tapes podcast. If you'd like to follow any of these lists in full that we talk about on here, you can give that page a like and just follow along there. You can also give the host website a visit at www.anchor.fm slash tale of the tapes. Both of those links are spelled completely normally. On that host website, there's a support button. Do your boy a favor, click it, send over lots and lots of dough. Be a generous person. Generate some good karma for yourself. Works out beautiful for everybody. You know what I'm saying? And that's going to do it for today's episode, man. <laughs> Next week, we will be covering Eminem and Capone and Noriega. And if there was ever an episode that you don't want to miss, it's this one. I'm going to just leave you with that. Tale of the tapes. Peace. Tale of the tapes.